Welcome to the Antioch Austin podcast. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you. For more information about Antioch Austin, please check our website at AntiochATX.com. It's good to see you. Thank you, JD, for that introduction. Appreciate you calling me old. I do have the gray hair, that's for sure. Um, at least I've got the hair, right? How to get him. I got to be honest, though, I am a little jealous of J.D. I walked in this morning, I saw that mustache, and I was like, man, I couldn't grow a mustache like that if I tried. He's just so cool. He's got it going on. But it is a pleasure to be with you guys this morning. Um, Enjoyed my drive down from Waco, coming into the great city of Austin, Texas, and uh, really been celebrating with you guys from afar, up the road, hearing what God's been doing in you and among you and in this city. Um, You are a part of something special. If you have gotten kind of jumped on board of this bus, this energy bus called Antioch Austin, uh, this thing is rolling. And if you're new here today, if you're just a guest that, hey, I just came in to kind of see what this is all about, I would encourage you to get to know some of the men and women in this room because God is doing something really special here. And it's been a real pleasure to watch uh, from, from Waco what you guys have been up to. Um, thanks for letting me uh, share a little bit this morning. We're going to jump into the word of, of the Lord here in a second, but I'd love to just pray real quick and then we'll get started. God, I want to thank you again for the opportunity to be here in Austin this morning. I pray that you would just get me out of the way. God, I know that there's nothing special that I have to offer anyone this morning, uh, but Lord, you have something special that you want to communicate through your word and through me as your mouthpiece. And so I ask God that I would decrease and you would increase that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I heard a story a few years ago about a couple who was celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. And what was unique about this couple is although they had been married for 50 years, they had probably fought every day for those 50 years. And their their friends kind of knew this about them. And so as they were thinking about what should we give our friends 50th wedding anniversary, but they're always fighting. They came up with this idea. They said, what if we kind of pitched in together, bought them first class tickets to fly to New York City, put them up in a five-star hotel, but let's also get them an appointment with the top marriage counselor in America while they're there. So they went in, did this, gave the couple this gift. Well, this couple, you know, they fought on the way to the airport. They fought about who was going to get the aisle seat, who was going to get the window seat. They fought about whether, you know, he could have an alcoholic drink in first class or whether his blood pressure was too high and he needed to hold off on that. They fought on the way to the hotel. They fought about, you know, which side of the bed they were going to sleep on. And is it going to be the same as like when we're at home or is it going to be different because we're in a hotel? I don't know how many of you have those kind of conversations when you stay in a hotel. Uh, But they fought and fought and fought. They finally, the day comes where they're going to go to their counseling appointment. They get in the elevator. They go up to the, you know, 30th floor of this Skyrise building in in, uh, downtown Manhattan. And they get out of the elevator and they're arguing on the way in about who should share first and whose fault is it that they had to go to this thing anyway. And they, they walk in. The receptionist takes them, sits them down in the gentleman's office. And he's sitting behind his desk, but he was on his computer finishing something up. And they just thought, well, you know, we'll just pass some time here while we're waiting on this guy, and they started fighting again. Well, he finally just looked at him, and he just sat there. He never said anything, and so they, I think they must have figured, well, he just wants to hear us out. We'll just kind of get all of our stuff out on the table here, and then he can start helping us put things together. So they just went at it, went at it, went at it. This went on for about 15 minutes, and finally this marriage counselor, he just kind of slams his hand on the table, and he stands up, and he says, I've had it. And he walks around to the front of his desk, and he picks the, the lady up, by the shoulder, stands her up, 
and then just plants this big, wet kiss right on her lips. I mean, just mm, real long kiss. And then he sits her back down in the chair, and he looks at the husband, and he says, Sir, that's what your wife needs at least three times a week. And the guy kind of thought about it for a second, and he looked back at the counselor, and was obviously a little shocked, but then he said, All right, I'll bring her in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. (laughs) I think the guy missed the point, right? I think the guy missed the point that what his wife needed was relationship. She didn't just need to have a partner in life, just someone to kind of, uh, you know, share the the load of washing dishes and laundry and uh, someone to help out around the house and maybe someone to yell at the past time. But she needed relationships. She needed someone that cared about her, that was interested in her life and wanted to know what was going on. And that is the nature of human relationships, is it not? We all need relationships. We all need relationships that are not just, hey, how you doing? Facebook relationships, just kind of, hey, I like that little party you're at or I found someone on Instagram or believe it or not, this is, has nothing to do with my talk, but this is such a funny story. I, I'm going to share it, just a little bunny trail. So we have some friends in Waco and they, someone random uh, messaged them on Instagram and said, hey, you've been popping up in my feed a lot. You live in Waco. Uh, this show, Fixer Upper, is kind of a big deal. And I'd like to take my wife to Waco to kind of see all the Magnolia stuff for Fixer Upper, but we can't afford to get a hotel. Could we stay at your house? <laughs> Seriously, this happened, right? And so my friends were like, well, what? So they, they check him out. Turns out this guy has like 10,000 followers on Instagram, had been one of the finalists in American Idol. And so they were like, oh, well, well that's, that's weird, but it's kind of cool. So let's say yes. So literally tomorrow, this is going to happen, right? This couple is going to show up in Waco and have a free place to stay. But that has become kind of the nature of our relationships in in today's day and age. It's like, well, how many followers do you have? And do I want to be friends with you online? Or or, or maybe you're my neighbor and I may say hi to you while I'm mowing the grass or as I'm going out of my apartment door to get the mail, we might wave at each other. But true relationship, deep relationship where somebody knows what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in their life. That's just That's something that is, even in a world where we seem to be much more connected than we used to be, we're beginning to lose this place of intimacy. And in fact, uh, there was a research um, firm in in the United Kingdom that did a survey, clothing brand. They wanted to find out how to reach millennials with their clothing brand, and they did this massive survey. The results came back, and they they thought there must have been a mistake. This this can't be true. So they sent the results back, and they said, we're going to do the whole test over again. They did it all over again, and the same results came back. And this is what the results said. In a generation that is more connected than ever before, the level of loneliness is also is just as high as it's ever been in history. And so that's where we live. This is our life. This is me. This is you. How can we have deep friendships? And uh, many of you uh, heard the news this week. I believe it was on uh, Thursday, Tuesday or Thursday. Um, Maybe some of you grew up listening to the band uh, Linkin Park. Don't know if you may have heard of them before, but uh, their lead singer, Chester, um, took his own life this past week. Uh, for me, that was kind of this weird moment because it, I think for some of you, that might have been your junior high, high school years. For me, that was kind of my college uh, years of listening to their music. He's my age, 41-year-old guy, top of the world. They're about to go on another tour, uh, has six kids. Um, what must have been going on in his world for him to take his own life? Uh, there, I, I don't know all the ins and outs. None of us do, I'm sure, but they're I'd be willing to bet my own life that there was some form of wrestling of him of, is this all there is? Is there not a place where I can be fully known and fully loved and love others and fully know them? There there must have been a missing link in his life. And I think about just a couple months earlier, 
his good buddy, uh, Chris Cornell, the former lead singer of Soundgarden, another band that was my high school years, uh, he as well took his own life. And uh, Chester had given kind of the eulogy at Chris's funeral, had, had written a special letter to Chris and stood up at his funeral just two months earlier, read this letter about his friend Chris, and then two months later takes his own life. What is going on in our world that there's this much level of uh, hopelessness, that we've lost a sense of, of purpose for our own lives and a sense of connectedness with one another? A band that was around a long time ago, kind of before my time, but we still sing their songs at basketball games, uh, We Will Rock You, and songs like that. Queen was the name of the band. Freddie Mercury was the lead singer. And uh, before he passed away, he gave an interview with the BBC. And, and, you know, this is a man who had made millions of UK, so pounds in our, you know, tens of millions, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, tens of thousands, if not millions of fans had packed stadiums out, had, had everything in the world that, that you could want. And he said in this interview, he, he said those words. He said, I've amassed everything that you might think a person would want. I've had wealth. I've had success. Um, I've had uh, people around me my whole life, but the one thing that's eluded me is a meaningful, lasting relationship, and I'm lonely. I'm lonely. This theme again of where are relationships that we can press into? When I think about our stages of life and what we go through, I realize that most of us, this is just human nature, we tend to follow our emotions, and the thing about emotions is that emotions are a great gauge, but they're a terrible guide. Emotions are a great gauge, but they're a terrible guide, and this is why we end up in these ditches along the way in life, because we're following our emotions. Well, my, my emotion says I ought to do this, or I, I feel like I need this, but although they might be a great kind of, hey, warning light on the dashboard of life, you don't want to make every single decision based on how you feel today, because your emotions are going to go back and forth. And when we're kids, or for sure when we get into our teenage years, our emotions are saying, they're asking a question, am I accepted? Am I accepted? And so it's all about friendship circles and do I have friends and, uh, you know, which group of people am I involved in? You remember back when you were a teenager in middle school, we're sitting in a middle school, your high school years, probably for some of you even walking in this building is this remember of, this, this reminder of, well, am I accepted? Was I accepted at that age? Did I have friends? Then we get a little older, we graduate high school, maybe some of us go on to university or into our first job and as a young adult, right, kind of as that college age student, um, we we want to know, am I seen? My emotions want to say, am I seen? Does my life matter enough that people see me? And so it's about, uh, you know, finding out where's the fun happening? You know, where, where's the next party? I want to be at that party. I want to be where these friendship circles are so that people see me and, and there's a, put, put value on me. Say that you see me and that, and that you know what I'm all about. And then we finish those college years if we went to university and then we graduate kind of into the young adult years of life and then our question becomes, am I important? My, our emotions say, I, I want to be important. I want my life to matter. I want to do something of importance. And so we begin making decisions based on how will that affect my importance in life? We, it's this emotional reaction of, well, will this decision make me important? Does, does this job or does this uh, you know, opportunity at work or whatever the thing might be, will it make me more important or make me at least feel more important than I am today? And then we... Maybe we go on to get married and we start a family. And to be honest, when you've got young kids, your, your question is just really, am I going crazy? I mean, it's just life is all over the place and you've got little crumb snatchers crawling all around the floor and, you know, all the life of young kiddos. And uh, specifically, I haven't talked to my wife about this. We're, get, we're just getting out of the young kid stage. Our youngest is now eight years old, so we don't quite have the preschooler age anymore. And, 
she was telling me, yeah, you know, in those years, it was just, am, am I okay or am I going crazy? You know, so just to sit down with a friend over Starbucks coffee and talk about the challenges of having young kiddos at home and just to affirm one another, no, you're not crazy. That happens at our house too. You know, my kid swallowed a crayon as well, and we, we've all been through that. Uh, it's, but it's this emotional, ah, you know, am I okay or are we okay? And then you get kind of where I'm entering into now, this middle age stage of life where kids are getting a little older. And then kind of from here on, really, the question is, am I done? Is that it? Was that it? So much kind of happens in your young years of life. But as you get to that 40, 45, and this is why we talk about, or you may have heard about things called a midlife crisis. A lot of men kind of go through this where they're wondering, man, is that it? Am I done? And so people end up making dumb decisions. You know, they sell their house and put it, you know, make 200000 off a house and put it into a $200,000 Harley motorcycle, right? And it's just like, what? Looking for adventure. Looking for uh, that, that sense of, hey, I'm still alive because their emotions, their, which should be a gauge in life, are acting as their guide. But I want to submit to you this morning that maybe there's a better way to go about answering these questions of, am I accepted? Am I seen? You know, am I important? Am I done in life? Is, is this all there is? I mean, really, am I just going to be bored for the rest of my life, or is there something more? And that's what we want to dive into the Word of God this morning and kind of take a look at. In a minute, we're going to open the Scripture to the, to the book of Mark, chapter 2. And if you're new to church, if you don't know much about the Bible, uh, the book of Mark is the second book in, uh, in the New Testament, which is kind of the second half of the book of the Bible. This is really not one book. This is like a miniature library. And the library is made up of 66 different books that were put together. And uh, you can go ahead and start maybe finding a Mark in the in the table index there at the beginning, or if you know where that is, you might want to open that up to Mark chapter 2. But before we read Mark chapter 2, I want to set up the story of what's going on here. And again, we're going to try to answer this question. Rather than allowing our emotions uh, to be our guide, what might there be another way to find our, our compass, to find our way through life to meaningful relationships and a meaningful existence in this, in this place that we call Austin, Texas for you guys? So what's happening here is Jesus has begun his public ministry. He showed up in Mark chapter 1, and he is baptized publicly, and he begins to call his disciples. Now, if you've ever been to church around Christmas, you kind of know the Christmas story. You know that he was born in a town called Bethlehem, and that was about 70 or 80 miles south of where his family actually lived. So you can kind of, just geographically, we can think it'd be as if Jesus' family was from Austin, but they went down to San Antonio for a little trip around Christmas time. Jesus was born in San Antonio, and then they went right back to Austin, okay? Or maybe we'll say Travis County. It was this region called Galilee, and this is where he was. And there's a big lake in Galilee called the Sea of Galilee. It'd be kind of like Lake Travis, I guess you could say. And so what we find out in Mark chapter 1 is that Jesus has, they've moved back. Obviously, he grew up in this region of Nazareth, which is a little city in the region of Galilee. And his friends begun to go on this little trip around the Sea of Galilee where they're stopping in different towns along the way. And Jesus begins to perform miracles. And people are getting healed, and they're becoming followers of Jesus. And he's building this following, and he's beginning to do the work of the kingdom. All the things that we learned about, maybe if you grew up in church, or maybe you've heard stories of Jesus doing miracles, he begins doing those things. And after he's made the trip around Lake Travis, he comes back to the city of Austin, or for, for these guys, Capernaum, which is where he was living. And when he shows up there, there's a massive crowd. And so this is where we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 2, if you'd like to follow along. Mark chapter 2, the guys have just showed back up in Capernaum, and we read this, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. 
They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So again, what's, what's happened here is this is kind of the, the, the ancient version of, uh, of going viral, right? So he's been on this tour around Lake Travis, we'll say, the Sea of Galilee. Um, he's been doing these wonder-working things, miracles. People are starting to follow him. So everybody's seeing it on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, and they're like, what in the world is going on? So they start flocking to Capernaum, and they want to see this guy, Jesus. They want to see what he's all about. So he's hanging out at a house, and there's so many people trying to get close to him, so many people that are wanting to see him, so many people that want to have a conversation and find out what this is all about. They can't even get into the house. Verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, uh, since they could not get their friend, him, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. So again, so many people crowded around the house, but they wanted to get to Jesus. They were not going to be deterred by a large crowd. They weren't going to be deterred by the fact that they showed up about five minutes late for the church service. They said, how do we get to this guy's presence? What can we do? So they climb up on the roof and they dig a hole through it. Verse five, when Jesus saw their faith, this is the, the faith of these men. He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So again, picture this. You've got group of guys carrying a a paralyzed man on a mat, and it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I don't know about you, uh, but if you've learned anything about Jesus, you you know what's coming next, right? I mean, you you don't ever want to play this kind of game of thinking something about Jesus because he, he loves to call you out on things like that, right? He loves to prove people wrong. He loves to kind of say, hey, you think this? Well, let me show you something even greater than that. And so that's what we uh, are about to see. Verse 8, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, so he's reading their mail, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to them, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus is sitting in this room. He reads their mail. He understands what they're thinking. They're thinking only God can do that. What are they, you know, what is, what is, he, what is he about to do? And he said, hey, um, there's something in your heart that I need to call out. There's something that I need to show for everyone here. And he says, um, uh, let's read, let me read that one more time. He said to them, um, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and take your mat and walk? You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen a little bit later. He knew that he was going to have to pay the ultimate price to be able to forgive sins. If you know the story of Jesus, you know that he would have to give his own life so that our sins, your sins, my sins would be forgiven so that our relationship with God could be restored. He knew that it was much harder to say your sins are forgiven. But because of that, 
He knew kind of where they were. He knew that they were just interested in, hey, what's going on right in front of me? We've been following the tour around the Sea of Galilee. We, we came here to see some miracles. So what is that? So Jesus says, so that you'll understand that you can look to me for this forgiveness, I'm going to do a miracle right here in your presence. And so he tells the man to get up, take his mat, and go home, and he heals him. I can only imagine what the people must have thought. And as I think on that story, I realize that there's really three groups of people that we see in the story. There's the Pharisees, the guys that were kind of, yeah, whatever. You know, and it it even says that they were just sitting there. You can kind of picture them sitting there with their arms crossed. What's this guy all about? And I just want to know, if you're here this morning and you would maybe call yourself a skeptic or you've got questions, you're in a great place because Jesus actually loves questions. There's no question that you have that you might have brought with you this morning that Jesus would say, you know, get over your, your question asking. But that's not who the Pharisees were, right? The Pharisees weren't just legitimately having some questions. They were wanting to trip Jesus up. They were wanting to catch him and call him out and say, yeah, you're just a fake. You're just a blasphemer. And so maybe that's one crowd of people where, and I I unfortunately have seen this a lot in the southern United States of America, what we call this religious spirit, where people just kind of, yeah, I know about Jesus, but yeah, all right, Antioch, Austin, what's all this you talk about healing? And what's all, you know, the gifts of the spirit? And what's, what is all that about? I, I, don't, I don't know about that, right? I, I haven't seen that in my own life, and so I don't know if what you're saying is true or not. It's this Pharisee spirit, this critical spirit. That's one group that we see here. The next group that we see are just what I call the fans. You have the Pharisees and the fans. The fans were pressing in, man. They wanted to see the show. They were crowding in at the door. They were like, wow, this is awesome. But all they were concerned about was themselves, right? They weren't concerned about helping anybody. They weren't concerned about, you know, anything other than, can I get mine? Can I get something for me? Is my need going to get met today? Can I see something cool or can I hear something cool? Or maybe Jesus will touch me. And so they're acting like just a fan. So you had the Pharisees and the fans. But then we have this third group of guys, right? What I like to call the, the Mark II life group, if you will. The, the guys that were, they were not just fans trying to get something just for themselves. They weren't Pharisees that were there to try to pick something apart, but they were faith-filled, faith-filled. Roof busters, I guess, is maybe another way to say it. They were roof busters. They said, hey, whatever it takes, we know. We, we've seen and we've heard the story, and if Jesus is who he says he is, we know if we get our friend and his presence, our paralyzed friend, then we know his life will be forever changed. And so they went to every link possible. They cut in line. They climbed up on top of the roof. They dug the roof open. I mean, they tore the roof apart. They busted through the roof so they could get their friend to Jesus. And my question for us this morning, guys, is where are we in our own hearts? Are we living as Pharisees, just kind of, yeah, well, you know, that was biblically correct, but I don't know about that, and just kind of casting stones? Are we living as fans of just, hey, I'm here for the show, and I I love it when worship's good, and when J.D. brings a good word on a Sunday, and it makes me kind of get goose pimples on the back of my neck, and now I go on with the rest of my week, and I kind of forget about really what happened in that room. I just kind of need to get my batteries recharged. makes me feel good about myself. Am I just a fan, or am I a faith-filled follower of Jesus, someone who's willing to bust through a roof for the sake of someone else. Guys, this, I want to submit to you, is the key to a life of living meaningful relationships with one another, meaningful relationships with one another. What do we see about these guys in the way that they treated their, their friend, this paralytic on this mat? Number one, we see that they showed genuine concern for somebody else other than themselves. 
The Pharisees were concerned with their own questions. The fans were concerned with, can I get mine? Can I get a touch? Can I see something cool? But the faithful guys said, it's not even about us. We're just, you know, we're going to risk our own reputation, jump up on this roof, dig a hole in it, have to probably pay the homeowner back a little later. We're going to risk all of that for showing genuine interest and concern in someone else, and they wanted to get them there. They were serving together as well. The second thing that we see in these relationships that are life-giving, they served together. They, they were on a mission together. They said, hey, let's go to Jesus. So they were, have this friend. He can't walk. Let's go do this together. Let's get him in the presence of Jesus. So they were showing genuine concern. They were serving together. They were willing to risk, as I talked about. They were willing to risk their own reputations even. They were willing to look foolish in front of other people. They, other people might have looked at them and said, man, what are these what are these." Guys doing, man, they just cut all of us. We're all trying to get to Jesus, and they just, they thought they're so good, they could get up there and dig through the roof. Well, yeah, they were, they were willing to risk that because it wasn't a risk for themselves. It was a risk for someone else, and they knew if I can get him in the presence of Jesus, we know his life will be forever changed. And what do we see that Jesus said? When, well, it says to us that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man. My question for us this, this morning is when Jesus looks at your life, what will he see? If, if you're this morning saying, man, I'm not even a follower of Jesus. I, I've got a lot of questions. I would say that Jesus is so happy you're here. It's, a, it's an open invitation to come and see. Just come and see. Glad that you're here. Please continue coming back. Bring your questions. There's no question that Jesus or that the leaders of this church are concerned about answering because they know that God wants to give you the answer even more than you want to have the answer yourself. So if you're a question asker, the invitation is to come. If you're a Pharisee, I think the response from Jesus this morning is what's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Jesus sees the critical spirit in your heart and wants to address that because that critical spirit is keeping you from experiencing the power of God in your life. Don't walk around with that Pharisee critical spirit, but say, God, creating me a clean heart. I don't want a heart of stone. I want a heart of flesh. Are you a fan this morning? You're like, man, I'm just, this is awesome. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? Or, or are, you, are you expecting God to actually move in your life and in the life of your friends and your roommates and your family? Don't just be a fan. I think the invitation from Jesus this morning is to say there's so much more. There is a deeper place to go in God. Come deeper. But then I think the real invitation for all of us is will we live like the friends, the faith-filled followers, the Mark II life group? Are we willing to lay down our life for another? You know, when I think about just the world population, forgive me if you will, just a little math equation for those of you who might have been math majors. If one of us in this room said, I'm going to be a faith follower, I'm going to be a faith-filled follower, I'm going to bust open roofs for the sake of those who have never heard, I'm going to show genuine interest, I'm going to serve alongside others, and I'm going to risk for the sake that someone else, to get them here, to get them in the presence of God so they might experience community. If you'll do that, just one person, if you were to do that once a year, grab one person, and then the next year you say, okay, the two of us, we're going to go do it. And then the next year, four of us, now we're going to go do it. In 24 years, you, the whole world would experience this kind of friendship. The whole world would experience this kind of friendship in 24 years. But you know, there's a lot more faithful followers than just one. In fact, I hope there's 250 or whatever in this room. I hope there's 250 right here. But if every single believer that's on the face of the earth right now, if every single person said, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, if we all live like that, in just three years' time, the whole world would experience this kind of relationship. The whole world in just three years. 
Guys, it's powerful what happens when someone says, I'm not just going to be a Pharisee. I'm not just going to be a fan. I'm going to be a roof buster. I want to be a faith-filled follower of Jesus. My question for you this morning is, can you imagine what would happen in Austin, Texas, if you began to live your life like this? Every single day, I'm going to show genuine interest in others. I'm going to serve along those who are like-hearted with me, and I'm willing to risk. I'm willing to risk my reputation, my finances, whatever it takes to be a faith-filled follower of Jesus. When we do that, we get in the presence of God. People's lives are healed. People are put back together, and those that are hurting get what they need. Those that are hurting get what they need. I know that this morning, there may be some of you saying, hey, I'm not the Pharisee, the fan, or the roof buster, Van. I'm, I'm the guy on the mat. I'm the girl lying on the mat. My, my life is broken. And when you were talking about Chester, uh, the Lincoln Park singer earlier, um, man, be honest, that's me. I, I've had thoughts myself of, is this it? Is my life worth anything? Should I even, should I be, even be here? And I want you to know, guys, that... Um, Jesus didn't promise us that life would be roses. He didn't promise us that life would be easy. But he did promise that he would be with us. You have a promise from Jesus this morning that wherever you are, no matter how deep in a pit you feel, Jesus wants to encounter you in that space. And I'm not saying that just uh, one prayer with us at this church is going to fix everything and all the the darkness and the doubts are going to go away. But I am saying this is the place to begin. This is the place to begin. So I'd love to just pray with you. The band's going to play, and J.D.'s going to come up and lead us through a time of response here in a minute. But would you just bow your heads with me as we pray together? God, we are so grateful that you don't leave us to our emotions to be our guide, but you leave us with examples of what it looks like to have life-giving kingdom relationships with one another that are focused on knowing that ultimately our needs are met in you. And that relationally, when we walk that out in in relationship with one another, that's where the power is. In faith-filled relationships with one another. And so, God, I want to pray for my friends here this morning that maybe new to this church or uh, maybe have been here for a couple weeks and they're wondering, is there a place here for me? I want to say to you, yes, there is a place here for you. God would say to you, there is a place here for you in relationship. And the invitation is to not be a Pharisee, to not be a fan, but to be a faith-filled follower of Jesus and to walk that out and serving alongside others here. There is an invitation for that this morning. And then secondly, for those that are here saying, I'm the guy, I'm the girl on the mat. I, I need to know this God that says, get up. Your sins are forgiven. Take your mat and walk home. I need that kind of breakthrough in my life. I just ask right now, whoever that is, God, I, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come now in this moment by the power of the Holy Spirit. That they would know the fact that I even talked about this topic this morning and that they happened by whatever circumstance to show up this morning shows that you are after them. You are on a pursuit to grab a hold of their hand, to not let them fall down into the abyss, that you want to save them this morning, God. And you, the invitation is to take hold of the hand of Jesus, to take hold of the hand of Jesus. If that's the cry of your heart this morning, you can take hold of the hands of Jesus and you can just say in your own heart, the quiet of your own heart, God, I don't have all the answers. I don't necessarily see the way out, but I want to take hold of your hand. And I thank you, God, that you will answer that prayer. Lord, as we move now into a time of response to what we've just heard, I pray that you would mark us by being a people that live faith-filled, roof-busting lives, serving side by side, showing genuine concern and risking 
for your sake and for others. In Jesus' name.